I want to thank you for joining us this morning, especially this is your first Sunday with us. We are diving in this morning to uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount found uh, in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, more specifically, we're going to be looking at, over the next couple of months, we're going to be looking at a series of statements in the first 12 verses of this uh, chapter 5 of Matthew, the beginning of Jesus' sermon. We call these the Beatitudes, and it's simply a, a, a Greek word that was translated into Latin that now is translated into English that simply means blessed or happy that Jesus is going to be making some statements in these first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5 on a way of being in this world that will uh, result in happiness, that will result in blessedness, that will result in thriving. But one of the things that's going to be clear as we dive into this is that there's a darkness that kind of hangs over these 12 verses that we will read some of these things that, that Jesus is saying in the context of this is the, the good life, this is the happy life, these are the people who are blessed, and we will actually see that many of these situations and many of these attitudes are things that we actually run from, that we try to avoid in order to be happy. But Jesus says this is happiness, this is thriving, this is what it means to be blessed. And if you were here with us last week, we understand that the only way to make sense of these things is that we know the reality that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In chapter 4 of Matthew, that Jesus, Jesus began his ministry by announcing that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. That God is here. That we don't have to wait to, to, until the end of time to experience the nearness of God, the rule and the reign of God, that we can begin to experience that here in this life, in the way that we live, in the way that we see this world. And as I mentioned, in these beatitudes, in these statements, Jesus is answering the question, what is the good life? What is the good life? He's answering the question that has been the question since the beginning of time. What does it mean for people to be happy? What does it mean for me to be happy? And what we're going to see as we read through these is that this is kind of a redefinition that Jesus is giving of what it means to be the people of God, that Jesus is drawing these boundary lines and saying, this is what it means to be happy. This is what it means to see and experience life differently. But I also want to warn you that as we read through these things, some of these are going to be hard to swallow. Some of these aren't going to hit you in the warm and fuzzy place when you first hear them. There's going to be some difficult things because the things that Jesus is going to say, these statements are are things that run counter to what we have been taught growing up. There are things that run counter to what we in our own minds think it means to be happy. There are things that move us further and further away than what we've been told is the American dream what it means to live life in the 21st century. And what we're going to see is that Jesus, in the same line as the Psalms and the Proverbs and the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, that Jesus says this is a way of being in the world. This is a wise way of living that will result in your happiness. It's not God will bless you if you do this, that, and the other. It's an invitation 
to say this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is the life that God has intended for us to live, and Jesus is inviting us to come and to taste and to see and to live, to experience happiness, to thrive, to flourish in this life. This is what it means to live life with God under the rule of God. So if you're not already there, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I think we have the, the, if you're using one of the blue and white Bibles around you, I think we have that. 472, um, we say this, uh, in the, we've said this, and I'll say it again. If you'd like to take that Bible with you, please feel free. That's our gift to you. Matthew chapter 5, and, and let me read the first 12 verses. Seeing the crowd, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Um, We're actually going to skip over the first statement, blessed are the poor in spirit. And this morning we are going, we're going to come back to that next week, but this morning we are going to talk about that statement that Jesus made, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. But before we get into that, I think it's important to point out that Matthew tells us that Jesus went up on this mountain and when he sat down. Because a teacher and a rabbi in that day, just like, you know, many of us, we would, uh, he would do life with his disciples and the people who were, who were following him. We see that in, in, the, uh, in the life of Jesus, walking uh, back and forth between the towns, walking in the city, talking with his disciples about life, giving them advice, encouragement, pointing out things that they needed to see. But when a teacher or a rabbi sat down, something special was about to happen. Because the people knew in that culture, when their teacher sat down, what he was about to say was important. And what he was communicating by sitting down is, I have authority to say this. I have weight behind me to say what needs to be said. So listen up. If you, have, if you can turn with me to Luke chapter 4, I want to point this out. In Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 4 and Luke gives us the account of Jesus's, uh, be- the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This happens before the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew 5, when Jesus was still in his hometown of Nazareth. And if you look at chapter 4 of Luke, uh, starting in verse 16, we read Luke, he says, And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What happens here is that Jesus goes into this synagogue, this house of worship. He reads from the ancient prophet 700 years before saying there's going to be this Messiah This one that the Jewish people had looked for and longed for for generations. He reads this passage of Scripture saying, this is what the Messiah will be like. This is what he will do. He rolls it up. He sits down and he says, I'm him. This is a mic drop, if there ever was one. Jesus is saying, the thing that you have longed for for generations, the person that you have looked for, I'm here. This is me. And my point here, the point I'm trying to make is that when Jesus sits down, he is saying, there is something about me that is different. I have an authority that you have never seen or heard before. And what we're seeing here is that he is communicating that I am the Messiah. And this is important for this reason. Because all of the things that we're going to read here in the Beatitudes, all the things that we're going to hear Jesus teach in the Sermon on the Mount, they would just be burdens upon burdens upon burdens placed upon people who were already burdened enough if the kingdom of God was not at hand. Let me say this another way. Jesus would be the devil to say, this is how you are supposed to live. This is how God wants you to live. This is the kind of life that will make you happy, but didn't have the power or the authority to bring it about. That is what we're going to see in these Beatitudes, in this Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus isn't just giving you some good wisdom stuff here. He's not giving you some practical advice, you know, uh, life for dummies. This is how we get through it. This is how we're happy. Jesus is saying, this is what God intends, and I also have the authority to bring it about. So when we come to this statement, blessed are those who mourn. We need to understand where Jesus is coming from. We need to understand the authority from which he's speaking. Last week, I asked you to put your imagination hat on, and I want you to do that again. I want you to to imagine that you are a Jew sitting on the side of this mountain, and you are listening to Jesus teach, and you hear this come out of his mouth, blessed are those who mourn. And when you hear that word mourn, The picture that you see in your mind is someone tearing apart their clothes. You see someone wearing sackcloth. And I'm not talking about the cool hipster burlap that we have. I'm talking about like a sack of cloth that you put on your body that rubs your skin, that scratches your skin, that irritates your skin. You see people putting dirt all over their bodies. You see people laying in the dirt. You see people sitting on these piles of ashes because this is what it meant for you and your culture to mourn, to mourn, to grieve. It wasn't some sanitary thing. 
It wasn't some kind of inner feeling that we have sitting in a nice, neat funeral home surrounded by our friends. For a Jew to mourn meant sitting in public, full body, I'm in pain. I'm suffering. I'm grieving. I'm feeling this. And I want everybody else around me to know that. And so when you hear Jesus say, these are the people that are happy, does that make sense to you? Does that make sense that someone who is mourning, someone who is grieving, that is the person who's blessed? Now you can take that cap off. You're back to being a 21st century American. And you hear Jesus saying, blessed are those who mourn. Does it make any more sense to you? Does it make any more sense to you in our day and in our age? Because I would say it doesn't. Because I don't think we mourn very well. I don't think we're taught how to grieve very well. I think we hear people say, you know, just you got to move on. You know, something bad's happened to you. You've lost someone. You've been hurt. You just kind of got to get yourself together. Get yourself together. Pull yourself up. Get on with life. Blessed are those who mourn and who grieve. That doesn't really sound like living to us. That doesn't really sound like the good life. So whether you're a Jew in Jesus' day or whether you're an American, you're us in our day, right here, right now, this doesn't make sense. I want to go back to that passage that Jesus read from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. I want to read the first three verses of this chapter, page 360, if you're using the Bibles around you. Because there's a reason that Jesus chose to read this passage. Chapter 61, starting in verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. If you remember, we've, we've been in Isaiah a, a lot over the last few weeks. Isaiah is prophesying. He's speaking to Jews living in Babylon because the Babylonians had come in and they had conquered their nation. They had destroyed their city. They had taken Jews back with them to live in a different kingdom under a foreign government. And Isaiah is prophesying. He's speaking hope to them. He's saying that this will not last because one day someone will come to heal the brokenhearted, to free the enslaved, to release prisoners, to bring the message of God's blessing, to comfort those who mourn. When you think about these Jews living in that time, what were they mourning? They were mourning and grieving the fact that they were living in a kingdom that wasn't their own. They were living in a different kingdom than the one they were supposed to be in. 
And when Jesus sat on the, the side of that mountain, that hill, and he began to preach and, 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 and teach people, he was speaking to Jews who were still living in another kingdom, who were still living in a different kingdom than the one they knew they were supposed to be living in. This time it wasn't a Babylonian kingdom, it was a Roman kingdom. They were living in a kingdom that didn't care about their history, that didn't care about their culture, that didn't care about their well-being, and they felt that. They felt that, and they longed for things to be different. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And if we're honest, we are living in that same reality today. We are living in that same reality. We are living in a different kingdom. We are living in a kingdom of sin and a kingdom of death. And we see it all around us. We feel it every single day. We mourn and we grieve because this kingdom is not our own. We mourn the ways of this world the violence that we see and experience, the injustice, the racism, the poverty, the hunger. We mourn the fact that people can just walk into a church, can walk into a place of business and kill numbers and numbers and numbers of people just like that. We mourn that we live in a system where men who pray and abuse girls and women can rise to levels of success and power. We mourn that fact. We mourn the fact that, that, that these things exist in this kingdom that we're living in. And we should never just say, well, that's just the way the world is. We just got to get over it. We just got to deal with it. No, we mourn and we grieve that that's the fact that, the way, that this world is the way that it is. We grieve our own loss, our own pain, our own hurt. The death of a child, the death of a parent, of someone who's close to us. We grieve that there is sickness and disease that ravage our bodies. We grieve the fact that we've experienced abuse at the hands of people who we're supposed to love and protect us. We grieve and we mourn over marriages that end, over relationships that are fractured. And we carry these things around with us and we wonder, do other people understand? Do other people care? Have, can other people identify with what's going on in my life? We mourn the ways of this world. We mourn our own loss and our pain and our hurt. But lest we think that we're innocent bystanders in this, we also mourn our own brokenness. We mourn our own brokenness. We mourn the idolatry of our hearts. That we so often run to other things for satisfaction. That we worship other things with our money and with our time and with our, in, with our, with our energy and with our affections. We mourn the fact that our sin separates us from God. The pride and the self-sufficiency that we live with. The greediness of our own hearts. Just wanting more and more and more just to make us feel good about ourselves. We mourn and we grieve the fact that we hurt so often the ones who are closest to us. We mourn that sin keeps us from experiencing the life and the happiness that God intends for us to have. And we should allow ourselves to feel these things. We should allow ourselves to feel the weight 
of these things, the brokenness of this world, the brokenness that is in us, it's significant. It's not something to be just glossed over. It's not something to be ignored. It's not, not something to just say, well, here's, there's a silver lining in everything. We should feel the weight of this brokenness. And we should never make other people feel like they should just get over it. Like they should just get themselves together and just move on with life. Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a time to mourn. There's a time to mourn. That God has intended us to mourn and to grieve. That it's part of being human. Jesus didn't say back here in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who never have to mourn. He says, blessed are those who mourn because it's expected by God. Blessed are those who mourn because it reveals that we understand that things are not the way that they should be. That things are not the way that they should be. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In Isaiah 61, in verse 3, we read again, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, beauty instead of ashes, gladness instead of sorrow, joy instead of a disheartened spirit. What Isaiah is saying here to these Jews, what he is, the hope that he is giving them is that one day you will be invited to a festival instead of a funeral. A festival instead of a funeral. But if you're a Jew in Babylon, living in a different kingdom, if you're a Jew sitting on the side of that hill listening to Jesus, living in a different kingdom, if you're an American in this room, Living in a different kingdom, you look around and say, okay, where is it? Where is it? Where is this festival? Where's this party? Where's this joy? Where's this happiness? Because I don't see it. I don't experience it. I don't feel it in the world that I'm living in. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's the only way that this message of comfort makes any sense in the world that we're living in. Because when Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of heaven didn't come to explain all of the suffering and the pain and the grief that we experience. The kingdom of heaven didn't eliminate. It doesn't take away the suffering so we can just live happily ever after. The coming of God's kingdom draws boundary lines. Jesus will go on to say that the kingdom of God will divide households. It will divide friends. It will pit communities against each other. Some people will not be in the kingdom of God. Some governments and systems will operate outside of God's kingdom. The way of this world will stand in opposition to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is set against the dark backdrop of pain and suffering and sin and death. For some of us, 
there will be an end to our mourning and our grieving in this life. But for others of us, it won't end until the next life. And that's what's made studying and preparing for this message so hard this week. Tears filling my eyes as I'm reading this and just knowing that for some of us, that pain will never go away. For some of you in this room, that grief and that sorrow, you will never get over it. But the message of Jesus here is blessed are you who never get over it. Blessed are you who never just get past it. There will be comfort for you. Jesus didn't come in response to our grief and our suffering. We need to know that. Jesus didn't come to this earth in response to our own suffering, to our grief, to our pain, to our sorrow, because Revelation 13 says that Jesus was slain, he was killed before the foundation of the world. God experienced pain. God grieved. God mourned before any of us. The kingdom of heaven says we have a God who is here. That Jesus announced God is here. Emmanuel, God with us. A God who grieved before we grieved. A God who mourned before we mourned. A God who understands and experienced it himself. Isaiah 53 refers to Jesus as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And a man like that, a God like that, is able to comfort. Amen? As people living in the kingdom of God, as people who experience the comfort of God, we can also be people who offer that comfort to each other. We can be a community that says, blessed are those who mourn, because they can be comforted. And I want to offer you three ways that we can do that this morning. The first is we offer our presence. We offer our presence. Jesus said the kingdom of God is not standing far off, afraid to enter into the pain, afraid to enter into the sorrow and the grief. The kingdom of God is here. It's present. It's with us. And we can be present too. We can listen to those who mourn. We can weep with those who weep. We can advocate for those who have been hurt. We can encourage those who are beat down. We can be present because the kingdom of God is present. We can offer prayer. We can offer prayer. Pain and sorrow isn't a problem for our view of God or our theology because we understand that the kingdom of God is opposed by another kingdom, the kingdom of death. We understand that. We embrace that. We live with that reality. We understand that the evil and the brokenness of this world is just a tangible reality of the spiritual brokenness, the spiritual kingdom of death and of sin, the battle that is raging beyond what we can see in front of our faces. And so when we pray, we acknowledge that there are powers at work that we don't see, that we don't understand, but through prayer we can enter the battle. We can intercede on behalf of those who are mourning, on behalf of those who are grieving. 
We can be a part of what God is doing to bring comfort to those who mourn. We offer our presence. We offer our prayer. We offer the promise. We offer the promise. Pastor Nate and I were talking yesterday about how so often we describe communion as a celebration, that we celebrate communion. But really, if you think about it, we are mourning. Every time we take this bread and we dip it in the juice, we are mourning a death. We are grieving the fact that God had to die, that God died the death that we should have died, that God suffered the things that we should have suffered, that God laid down his life for people who were against him. So when we come and we take communion, we are mourning, we are grieving, but our comfort in that mourning is that God didn't stay stay dead, that God died, but he didn't stay dead, that he rose to life, that he has power over death, that he has power over sin, that his power ensures that our mourning won't last forever. One day in the kingdom, there will be no tears. There will be no sorrow. There will be no grieving. But today, blessed are those who mourn because of that hope, because of that comfort, because our God is not dead. He's alive, and he knows how to enter into it with us. The kingdom of God is at hand. I want to invite you this morning, if you are a Christian, to come and to take this meal, to take this meal of mourning that Jesus died, that his body was broken, that his blood was spilt for us. But even as we take it in mourning, to take it in hope that one day because Jesus died, And because he was raised again, that there will be no death. That our mourning will cease. That our sorrow will stop. That we will be a part of a festival instead of a funeral. Because our God is alive. If you're not a Christian here this morning, this is not just some magical thing that happens when we eat and when we drink. This is a symbol of that hope. And that's the invitation this morning that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That if you are mourning, if you are grieving, come and find comfort. Come and find peace. Come and find life. Jesus is offering you life. Let me pray. God, I recognize that as I'm preaching this, that there are those of us here this morning who are experiencing great levels of pain and of sorrow and of grief, who are mourning so many things about living in this kingdom that we were not intended to live in. And so, God, I pray that these words would not come across as just platitudes or just, you know, trite sayings. I thank you that when you sat down and you said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, that you have the power and the authority to comfort. 
And so I pray for those of us here this morning who are grieving, who are mourning. I pray for comfort. I pray for your peace. I pray that we would be a community that lives in the acknowledgement and the acceptance that some things will never go away. That as long as we are living in this kingdom of darkness and of sin and of death, there will always be reason to grieve. But Lord, thank you for the hope. Thank you for the hope that you understand, that you cared, that you have suffered, that you have grieved, and that you are able to provide comfort and peace and life in the midst of our mourning and in the midst of our grieving. In Jesus' name, amen.